Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com. And I'm Eric Moline from SceneStealers.com, and this is the Oscar Hangover episode. It is. All right, we got a good show today. We're going to talk about the Oscars first and get that out of the way. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau, which Eric and I both saw earlier this week. Uh, then Eric's going to hit Take Me Home tonight. I'm going to hit it hard. Yeah. With a hard journalistic bent. Do it. And then uh, I'm going to finish the finish the little discussion with Drive Angry 3D, the Nicolas Cage 3D schlockfest. All right. So let's fantastic. get started. Oscars, how are you? Are you okay? I haven't seen you since the Oscars. You were you were pretty distraught. Yeah, we had a little party on Sunday night at the Crosstown Station in Kansas City, and uh, everything was going fine at the beginning of the mm-hmm. night. Uh, they were really doing a great job of spreading, I thought, the uh, the Academy of spreading the Oscars around. Yeah. Uh, the social network had won film editing and won the sc- best score uh, with some heavy competition. Alice in Wonderland even beat uh, the King's Speech for... Uh, art direction, yeah, uh, and then cinematography surprisingly went to uh, Wally yes. Pfister for Inception instead of uh, Deacons for True Grit. So sure. there was a lot of early awards that were happening where a lot uh, of production was, awards were going, yeah, technical all, awards yeah. were going all over the place. Yeah. yeah, and I really thought you know the King's Speech is not sweeping here, and and sometimes you can tell when you watch those early awards what's going to happen for the rest of the night. Um, this wasn't one of those nights. It right. turned out um, that the Academy went with uh, Tom Hooper for the King's Speech for Best Director, and they went with the King's Speech for Best Picture, which, uh, you know, I kind of knew that they were. That was but, not the right thing for them to do in the Eric Moline playbook, by Well, the way. I'll tell you what. The Tom Hooper thing is what really pissed me yeah. off. I mean, seriously, this guy has made um, two good movies, uh, zero great ones, and, <laughs> and uh, David Fincher's got three great movies under his belt, at least Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky's got three great – I know it's not a career award, and we're supposed to be rewarding the movie. Right. But even in that – he comes in fifth place in that category for me. So giving Tom Hooper the Best Director Oscar, just like they did at the DGAs, was um, not... Uh, it didn't go well. I don't he think it's going to go down okay in history well either. I think people are going to look back at it and they're going to say, oh, that was the King's Speech year. Remember how we all used to like that film? <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of like Out of Africa or something today. So whatever. But yeah, I got really angry and started making comments. The thing that really made me... Um, angry, the angrier yeah. uh, was when Francis Ford Coppola, Kevin Brownlow, and Eli Wallach took the stage after a brief one-minute montage of them accepting the Lifetime Achievement Awards yeah. earlier um, last year, late last year. They took to the stage, they announced them, the curtain came up, and they came up to the front, and they cut to commercial. Yep. Good night, everybody. That Apparently, was it. it was more important to let Gwyneth Paltrow sing uh, the poorest quote country song i've ever heard um yeah it's you know what he was it not was happy i Oscars. you know i was kind of numb to it by then because i the the hosts the oh god i mean it's been beat to death already but i, I really liked Anne hathaway she was way too eager though all the woos and i think you put it in your top 10 list you know um, hillary swank woo yeah uh, right <laughs> right but uh the, the, the what was at least she was excited at least she had some energy uh james franco was a nightmare yeah franco was just awful and i, I was making up for the fact that franco looked overcompensating like he didn't want to be there. Yeah. yeah overcompensating and he i don't know if he just had jitters because of the best uh, actor thing even though he'd even said that he was already you know sure that um firth was going to win but man he just had no 
every joke fell flat, you know, when they did the, the SciTech Awards and he said, you know, thanks, nerds. It wasn't even like a funny. Yeah. It was really brief and it was mean. Insulting. When he came out um, in the Marilyn Monroe garb, like that joke just bombed. And it, there was no that, joke. That, yeah, yeah, it was just, was he no just joke. walked out there and was like, yeah, hey, I'm wearing this because you're wearing that. And, and, and that was that. And wondering, why is she wearing that? So he can wear that. Great joke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the that writing, was, neither of them had good material. Yeah, that was, it was a wreck. And, you know, you can't get by on likability alone. And Anne Hathaway tried really hard too. But God, it was. It was tough. It was hard to watch. And when they when they brought Billy Crystal out for like the five minutes he was out, just showed how how good, uh, uh, yeah, how yeah. good a good Oscar host can be. I mean, he turned that around in the five minutes he was out there. So one minute, yeah, one minute. His his actual dialogue on stage, his his monologue, sorry, on stage was one minute, yeah. and then he was just introducing clips of Bob, Bob Hope, who was yeah. also who also was funnier. better, yeah. So anyway, that was the Oscars in a nutshell. Super disappointing. I'm glad they're over. Um, They kind of shook out the way I said they were in (laughs) some ways. You kicked my ass. You kicked my ass. Who who won online here uh, at Lawrence.com? Oh, we had a few winners. We had uh, five. And I I don't know their names. I just have their email addresses. So we did have five winners, though. Very cool. Very cool. Movie and I think that they got them, right? movie passes for all. Um, the most we only we did an abridged version of the ballot. Your your ballot was a, a much bigger one. Um, I think we only had thirteen mm-hmm. um, categories, and uh, three people tied with eleven. Wow! And then we had a hand. We had a bunch of tens that I had to do runoffs with. There you go. But yeah, there there were some sharp ones. Cool. Well, we had a good night um, at the Crosstown Station as well. And a lot of prizes were given away. If you want to learn more about um, the things that I hated about the Oscars this year, uh, you can look at my top ten reasons the Oscars sucked on scene-dealers.com. I am that guy now. Are you a registered New York voter? Do I sound like I am? <laughs> I gotta go. Sorry. How was that? I don't know. people who make sure things happen according to plan. We monitor the entire world. Can't outrun your fate, David. You've just seen behind a curtain that you weren't even supposed to know existed. This is your plan, and we're determined to keep it that way. You bumped into a woman this morning on the bus. Were you just staring at my legs? I was defenseless against the dress. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? Your path through the world is supposed to have been adjusted. You weren't ever supposed to see her again. If you truly love her, just walk away. If you stay with her, it not only kills your dreams, it kills hers. I don't care what you put in my way, I'm not giving up. They're making a run for it. What the hell is going on? I need you to trust me. Okay. All I have are the choices I make, and I choose her. Just remember, 
we tried to reason with you. All right. Adjustment Bureau. Philip K. Dick uh, has written some in, uh, extraordinary novels, some great short stories. Yeah. Hollywood continues to adapt his work. Blade Runner is the most famous version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was the novel. Right. A Scanner to- Darkly a Scanner was one Darkly. of the more recent ones. Total Recall based on a short story. Imposter with Gary Sinise. Yeah. Scanners with uh, uh, Robocop. What's his name? Peter Weller. Peter Weller. Um, these are the lesser known and, and not right. as successful ones. Minority Report. Minority Report. Steven yeah. Spielberg, Tom, Tom Cruise, another short story. Next, with Nicolas Cage and Jessica Biel, which I did not hate. It's very simplistic and dumb, but I didn't hate it. Huh. Paycheck. Yeah, I did. John Woo and Ben Affleck, which I did hate. Yeah, I got a paycheck and I don't know where it came from. <laughs> yeah. Any other any other story that would have been, oh sweet, I got a free check. And that would <laughs> that would have been the end credits. You know, just like I'm gonna go cash this thing. Well, so so what these movies are famous for doing is taking merely the premise mm-hmm. of a Philip K. Dick short story book, whatever, and working with that because his concepts get so. Far out, so yeah. incredibly dense. And his writing style is a hard style to adapt. Yeah. You know, it's a very difficult um, way to capture his prose on screen. Visually, how do you tell a story when he's imagining whole worlds inside this book that you can't yeah. even see? So yeah. the Adjustment Bureau, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt... I'm going to let you go from here because I want you to introduce this, and then I'm going to I'm going to kind of wrap it up because I don't know exactly what you're going to say about okay, it. Okay, well, the Adjustment Bureau is a uh, it's about Matt Damon as a popular New York Senate candidate, and uh, he loses this election. He meets this girl by chance, and uh, or is it or is it? And their uh, chemistry is palpable, immediate, and it frees him up. It liberates him, and he goes out and gives this speech that sort of reignites uh the the excitement around his base um because he was about to just fade into obscurity because he lost an election um and then we flash forward three years later when he's about to uh go to the uh polls again uh, run the election again and he meets the girl again he he couldn't find her there are people throughout the entire movie that are trying to keep them apart and you can't figure out why. Um, and that becomes more and more apparent. There's a plan in place. They have this very specific dialogue, uh, the chairman, they always you're, talk you're about s- having to speak to the chairman. Yeah. You're um, skipping a, a big thing though, before that flashback or before that flash forward of three years, right. it's revealed to Damon who these people are oh, that's right. and why that's they're right. doing what they do. And he lives yeah, with it for he, three years. He finds out what they really do and what they, they, what the adjustment bureau does is there's a plan in place and it's, their job to guide it okay so i was treading on on you know spoiler territory there i don't know how that's a trailer you see you see you see the you see the guidebook you see them looking at the plan and you see all the things that they do i won't i won't go any further into detail i will say that um i did like that the movie fully explains what the bureau is who the chairman is what they do or at the very least i i thought it was more than understandable what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good thing? And that's a good thing. I actually liked that because it gave it some base and it gave it some ground. You know, I, if it had been sort of, are they aliens? Are they, you know, are they wizards? Mm-hmm. Are they time travel? You know, I, I wouldn't want anything to do with that. Um, give it, 
They certainly it, it, grounded what, the what movie I'm trying to say is it would have made the movie more about what are these guys doing than right. this couple and how are they going to survive. I this. see. So so we we establish who these mysterious men are so we can then focus on what that on means the for relationships the and the characters involved. That's a, that's a really good point. And and for me, I think I would have liked a little bit less explanation just yeah. because I enjoy ambiguity in in a movie a little bit more. Yeah. But what works in this movie besides this this premise that they explore to great lengths and, mm-hmm. and sometimes for really funny scenes and sometimes sometimes for really dramatic scenes, especially this action scene at the end where it's yeah. like Inception where they've established the rules of this world and then within those those science fiction rules, there's an action scene playing out, which yeah. was very cool. Uh, but the thing that worked for me better than anything else is the thing that Dick didn't even have in his story, yeah. which is a romance. Mm-hmm. There is no there's no romance or relationship or central thing and this movie has an emotional core to it that yeah. I think a lot of times uh, the intellectual side of, of Dick is missing. Yeah. And so in this case, I'm not raving about the movie, mm-hmm. but because the, the relationship was the central focus and because Blunt and Damon have what you just said, that palpable chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, the movie works really well. And yeah. even at the end when they <laughs> – do that thing that movies with twists that I hate that they do, which is some character comes on and explains everything, and yeah. then and then in this case, there's a voiceover that gives us even more and kind of moralizes, yeah. gives us the lesson explicitly. Yeah. That wasn't needed at that point. No, it wasn't. We had our emotional the, there resonance, were, yeah. you know, and it was just the movie should have left it at that. But uh, I understand the need for that these days in audiences, and I appreciated the look. The 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 fifties style. You, yeah, you really clothing. dig the visuals. You really liked you really liked the sort of noir aspects yes, of the movie. I really did. I'm a sucker for that, and I'm a sucker for sci-fi. Like, uh, what was the movie last year with Andrew Garfield and Carrie Mulligan and oh, the, uh, Kira Knightley? The something Never trilogy? let me go. Never let me go. Never yeah, let yeah, me yeah, go. Yeah. Another great science fiction movie with no special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a pleasure to see ideas on the screen, and and I think that this movie isn't going to go down as one of the greatest. No, but it's it's a very good film, and and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I liked it too. I, I don't think I liked it as much as you did. There were some things that definitely pulled me out of it at different times. Again, like I said, I'm I'm glad that they made the focus on the relationship. I didn't know that it wasn't in the the, yeah. the Dick story. That's awesome yeah, well, because good for it. Them. Yeah, it was great, and you know, it's 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 a. It's a believable romance, and it's a believable relationship between these characters, and I, I really enjoyed that. But the movie just sort of pulled me out of it at different times with the weirdest things. For example, um, the soundtrack towards <laughs> towards the end, the soundtrack is – it just goes so wrong. It, this weird techno thing that happens during the chase scene towards the end. Very uh, out of place. Very out of music, place. All of a yeah, sudden. The music really – kind of waffled it went back and forth it does and it and it is pretty it is overt i mean i think no that's part what. of the push and pull of them trying to make a more commercial film yeah honestly yeah and i know they were worried i know that it was um originally slated to come out sooner if i remember right i know that it had been last fall yeah yeah it, was, it had been marketed for last fall and then i don't know if they were trying to avoid the inception comparison or what they what they tried to do to separate themselves from something, but it was originally supposed to come out during that sort of dead zone in the late fall, start of winter, when right. only the Oscar stuff comes out. And the last thing I want to say about this movie is that I I so hate the movies that talk about or that the theme is our choices are everything. Right? If yeah. you go down this path, 
this all this stuff is going to happen. If you go down this other path, like yeah. the sliding doors, right? The Gwyneth Paltrow movie and and that horrible uh, movie Irreversible with Monica Bellucci, where you see the events happen in reverse order, and and you wonder, oh, if she wouldn't have done this one thing, would all this have happened? Right. That to me is not interesting. What's interesting within that structure is a relationship and yeah. what that means to two people. That's why this movie works for me better than movies like the and the way in the way they deal with choice too. It's it's not just a single binary like you can get off path, but you can course correct in different ways. And that was really cool that they good point. they never made it so that you've made one decision and now your fate is sealed. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, they were constantly. That's the that's the whole point of the adjustment bureau is to set you back on the path when you go off of it. And I, uh, the other thing I'll say is I really like that change or ch- yeah chance. Sorry, not change. That chance was um, plays a part. Plays a huge part. Yeah. And that it's it's sort of this, um, you know, fifth element that they can't really deal with. They've got to yeah. they've got to take it into account just like anything else. Like they're governed by change, just like anyone. I'm else. starting to think chance, that Trevin chance. liked this movie more than he thought he did. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. All right, I'm Eric Moline, and uh, this is Trevor McGee. You're listening to the Scene Stealers podcast, and coming out this weekend also is Take Me Home Tonight, a movie originally titled Kids in America, mm-hmm. filmed four years ago. Really? Filmed four years ago. Uh, Topher Grace from that 70s show, Spider-Man 3, In mm-hmm. Good Company, which is a great underrated movie directed yeah, by Chris like White. Love that movie. Yeah. Uh, Topher Grace is the star of this film. He's also uh, He also wrote the story, mm-hmm. which was then uh, turned into a screenplay, and also uh, produced the film. So he's got a lot writing on this movie. Yeah. Uh, co-stars are Dan Fogler. You may remember him from Balls of Fury. I try to forget. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Teresa Palmer. And uh, a girl named Anna Ferris, who four uh, years ago nobody really knew who she was, yeah. but has had uh, some some success in. in uh, She's the house bunny, the house bunny, and observe and report since then. So it's actually kind of good timing for for Grace to have this film come out. Then the people that uh, worked on the film are the people he worked with on that '70s show, friends that he made there, uh, who who uh, helped write and direct it. It's set in 1988, and and uh, I interviewed. Uh, Topher Grace um, a couple weeks ago after I saw the film. Name dropper. And uh, no, I, the reason I'm mentioning this is because <laughs> he he said uh, he said some really interesting things. He said we wanted this movie to be um, an actual character piece about the people in this time period instead of being one of those movies that is set in the time period as a joke. Right. Right, where they use the and 80s I hate setting that. and the that's ridiculous such hair. A, that's such a failed premise anytime that when the joke is it's the eighties, it right. never it never works. And 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 so there there is a certain quality to this film which is about a guy who is uh, uh, coming out of college and ready to go into the real life, much like Adventureland. Sure. In the same time period, um, actually. And goes to this party one night and everything changes for yeah. him. Um, the bad part about this is I don't think they succeeded. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think they relied on way too much 80s jokes and 80s humor, and I don't think that the story itself is original enough or engaging enough. It's pretty much by the book, hmm. by the numbers. You've seen this thing before. He goes to the party and, and understands you know, the meaning of lashing out, and he's been waiting his whole life for something to happen, and he makes it happen, but it's with this girl, and it's because of a lie he told. So he has to rethink everything oh, about no. his life, and then he's put on the path forward. And in the middle of that, his crazy friend Dan Fogler does a lot of cocaine and, and steals a car and does some crazy stuff. And to that, there are pretty much no consequences. Sure. So, 
Just like real life. Yeah, so the party element of the movie uh, is supposed to be the really fun part. And some of it is fun, and some of it is funny, but it really doesn't amount to much. And then in the the last scene of the film um, is is what – I don't want to blow it, but you've seen it. You've seen the character have this moment a million times before, and that kind of falls flat as well. I I think there's a lot of good uh, actors in this movie and and a lot of promise, but ultimately – I don't think it added up to as much as, as they wanted it to. And especially when you've got a movie set in 1988, I yeah. think you should go. And I realize I did this on a low budget, but the, the opening scene takes place in a record store. And there are uh, CD displays everywhere <laughs> with posters of, of uh, Appetite for Destruction and Madonna and things like that. And the CDs are not in the long boxes mm-hmm. like they used to be back then. The the displays are just blown up versions of the album covers. I mean, it, they didn't do any work to try to make it look like anything. It, it looked like a high school production on on the theater stage of what they thought a, a record store in the 80s would look like. So mm-hmm. I, I hate to harp on them for that, but I worked at a record store in the early 90s, and, and um, we were still in long boxes then. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to like it better than I did. And in the interview, mm-hmm. I mentioned to him a couple similarities with things like Say Anything uh, and, and, and Better Off Dead because there were some Cusack kind of 80s qualities about the film. Yeah. And ultimately in my interview, it looks like I'm comparing the movie to, to those movies. And he really took that as a compliment. And um, I, I was just trying to compare elements of the movies. Right. I wasn't comparing it in terms of quality. I don't think it's as good as, as either of those films. I, and and I know that they were trying to go for it, and, and good for them. So um, compliment withdrawn. It wasn't a compliment. I was just comparing styles, and I wanted to find out. Really, did you intend this to be a movie of the era, or is it just a movie about people that happen to take place in this era? Yeah. And he confirmed they were going for the right thing. I just don't think it worked out for him. So that's too bad. I experienced the same thing. With uh, the movie I watched this week, which was Drive Angry 3D. Ooh, nice uh, segue. Yeah. Moving on. Zip. Um, Yeah. For those that don't know, I write this blog called Insomniac Movie Theater. And what I do is I put myself through notoriously bad cult classics at at ridiculously late hours. And you've been able to spot one here as it's currently in the theater. Yeah, and I decided that I'd, I'd wanted to do one... Usually I go for the ones that have been out for a while or, you know, the greatest hits like Xanadu and... Battlefield Earth and you know movies like that, but uh, I go off the beaten path, and sometimes I reward myself with with, <laughs> with a cult classic that's actually worth all the hype, like The Thing yeah. or uh, Escape from New York, which I haven't done yet, but I will soon. Um, and so I remember over the summer I'd wanted to do one on Jonah Hex, and that movie was gone so fast I couldn't even do an insomniac on it. So drive angry comes out and i'm i have the same thing like oh it might be gone in two weeks which it probably will be based on how poorly it's done so uh i did go see it on saturday with the antenna writing it i wrote it up um it is not you know it's not going to be a good movie just based off the trailers and what they're trying to go for but they're really really i have a specific question to ask you is Drive Angry 3D, and this is almost like a rock fist up, rock fist down question. I'm asking you to sum up one idea in, in, in one answer. Is Drive Angry 3D the bad movie that you love to hate, or is Drive Angry 3D the bad movie that you hate because it sucks and you hate it and you're sick of Nicolas Cage? It's the bad movie that you hate because they tried too hard. Oh, 
Yeah. So it's somewhere in the middle. You you you're giving well, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not giving it. A, I'm not giving it a Swiss fist by any means. It's, because it's camp a, doesn't sell. Well, that's what. No, camp doesn't sell. But I I, I mentioned it even today. Uh, uh, in in the post. Um, the best cult classics are the best campy movies are the ones that take themselves seriously the whole time that actually right. believe what they're doing, regardless of the production values, the ridiculousness of the story or the hamminess of their performance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like they, they don't wink right. and drive angry clearly knew what it was trying to be. And, and tried really hard to come off as sort of a grindhouse style, self-aware movie. He never looks at the cameras like this is bad. You know, he never does anything like that, but um, with the first scene, you know that they know what kind of movie they've made. I mean, he gets out of the car, and there's this, there's this um, guitar riff that plays every now and then when he does something, and it's like, like a signature riff. Yeah, he's got. it's like, bow, 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 bow. <laughs> and so he gets out of a car and it plays that. I'm like, okay, that's funny. And then the whole first scene's pretty good. You know, it kind of sets things up, and then it's just kind of that scene over and over again. Um, I mean. It, it just—it's really short, which you knew it was going to be. I mean, it's about ninety minutes, might even be less than that. Um, the plot is idiotic, and they know it. But it just—whereas Cage has really outdone himself in crazy performances in other movies, like I mean, Wicker Man always springs to mind immediately. But <laughs> you know, he's—he's he's gone crazy plenty of times. The, the whole "I'm Caster Troy" bit in in uh, Face Off is one of my favorite Nicholas Cage moments ever. They they don't really go that route. He's way more restrained. And so he's just kind of boring and the whole movie is just kind of boring. And so when it's boring and then on top of that, intentionally trying to go for a camp factor that it's not achieving. And then on top of that, um, visually uninteresting, even though it was shot in 3d, it doesn't, I mean, they never, Uh, they didn't, they didn't really take advantage of it. I mean, it was shot in 3d. They didn't, they didn't retrofit it, but you know, like this, for an action movie, this is a great opportunity for him to like shoot bullets toward the screen or do any sort of depravity in 3D, and it just doesn't really ever. Take Have you seen that. Shoot 'Em Up with Clive Owen? And I was going to say that there's a scene that actually is exactly like Shoot 'Em Up, and that it's another example of the movie trying to be campy, and it just comes off as tired and and irrelevant. He has a gunfight during a sex scene, mm. and, oh, it's, yeah. and it's I, it's identical to Shoot 'Em yeah. Up. Yeah, I mean like. Except shoot 'em up has hotter people in it, and and it actually is like it goes for the joke, and it's it's the one in shoot 'em ups better. This one like the camera work is stayed, and uh, yeah, it's just this really cheesy scene, and then it without any sort of invention to it, camera angles, nothing. I mean, there's nothing really inventive to it at all. It's just she's having sex with Nick Cage. It's a just some bar bar waitress he's picked up, and uh, he, but he's fully clothed, mm. and she's like. She says something like, aren't you going to take your clothes off? And he goes, I don't take my clothes off for a gunfight. And she says, what? And then the door bursts open, and then gunfight ensues. Hmm. And he just kind of moves her around and kills a bunch of people. So, I mean, it tries. It knows what it is, but it doesn't have any fun with it. You know, it. Sam Raimi can pull that off. I think yeah, he dragged he me to hell. I think he actually crafted a story with a really good character and some interesting stuff going on in her personal life. And then in addition to that, made a really funny uh, slapstick, crazy campy, slap, yeah. uh, kind of sc- scary horror movie. And obviously he's done the more campy stuff with Evil Dead <clears throat> 2 and stuff like that before. But few people can do that. And so it's yeah. it's discouraging to know that this movie knew what it was went and, and didn't go for it full bore. Oh, no. And it just fails. I mean, it just it's fails completely. Um, 
Yeah, it's not worth your time, and, and especially with the inflated 3D price, it's like eleven bucks a ticket, and it's it's the wor- most worthless 3D experience I've ever had. Even worse than Clash of the Titans. Oh, that's not possible. No, it is. Oh it my is. God. Drive Angry proves it. It is. Wow. Yeah. 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 I. All right. I'm not going. I was gonna go. I'm not going. All right. Big week at the movies. Adjustment Bureau. Take me home tonight. And Drive Angry. We can only recommend one. And we won't talk about the Oscars again until next week. (laughs) Good night, everybody.